from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to our annual holiday episode of the Cry Havoc Podcast. On December 16th, Cry Havoc held our annual holiday event, where we invited our audience to join us for an evening of holiday goodies and readings from this year's annual collection of very short holiday plays, written for our Gift a Square Foot program, which we'll tell you more about later in the episode. This year, 16 of our playwrights wrote new holiday plays for the Havoc for the Holidays collection. Like every year, each of our playwrights was given an assignment. Each of the very short holiday plays was to be no longer than five pages, to take place during the holiday season, to feature at least one character from a play that had been developed in the workshop, and to be inspired by a randomly assigned song. This year, all of the inspiration songs were covers of songs written by Bob Dylan. What follows is a live reading of nine of these plays, each followed by a selection from the song that inspired it and a few words from the playwright about how the play came to be. So sit back and enjoy. Happy holidays from all of us at Cry Havoc. And we will now join the event with the first of our very short holiday plays. And uh, to start us off, uh, we will be reading uh, Dear Nate by Allie Keller, <clears throat> inspired by the song Make You Feel My Love, as performed by Adele, uh, featuring the character Cookie, or Nate, from her play Slut Claws. And this will be read by uh, Will Clark and Julian Bilbao. And I will in advance thank Jersey Gwizdowski and Jenny Curlin, who will be taking turns with the stage directions. Dear Nate, a very short holiday play by Allie Keller. Nate, 33, is sitting in the snow holding a Christmas card outside a modest home on Long Island. He is wearing an ugly Christmas sweater and a Santa hat with the name Cookie written across the white part in glitter puffy paint. Charlie, a female in her 20s, also wearing an ugly Christmas sweater, walks outside and plops down next to Nate. They make an odd but complimentary pair. We're at a party. Actually, we're outside a party. You should be inside. You wouldn't want our colleagues to think uh, we're friends. I'll go back when I know you're okay. Because you care so much. So much. If that's true, then you really suck at making cards. I thought it was pretty clear. And nothing says care like, Dear Nate, I'm friend dumping you. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I guess it's really more direct than clear. Why are you out here? Because when a grown man walks away from the drunk coworker dressed like slutty Mrs. Claus who's throwing herself at him to sit in the snow alone, Somebody should make sure he's okay. I'm fine. You can go back to your friends now. Don't be so dramatic. Dramatic? You could have told me you were mad at me last night at the bar, or last week at the movies, or at any day at work, but you decided to end our friendship with a construction paper Christmas card you gave me during a party I'm hosting. I can't even leave. 
Why didn't you just tell me? I wanted to be the one to end our friendship. When did we decide it was ending? <laughs> you couldn't bring yourself to hold my hand. Nate looks at her like he doesn't know what she's talking about. On the LIRR? After I put my head on your shoulder, you got so tense I thought you stopped breathing? Then you went to hold my hand and changed your mind? I just didn't want you to read anything into it. You've been so moody lately. <laughs> I've been moody because you refuse to be alone with me anymore at the bar or the movies. For the past two weeks, the only time we've been alone, it's been at morning update meetings. And even then, you keep the door open. I never refuse to be alone with you. It's not like you've asked me for one-on-one -on -one time. You said we both need to work on controlling ourselves, which meant I need to work on controlling myself. I said we. But you meant me. You don't know that for sure. You're only 24. You don't know everything. I know how old I am. Do you? When I was 24... Yes, I know. You were 24 before I was. Congratulations! <laughs> Pointing that out all the time is really annoying. You don't get to end our friendship because you're annoyed at yourself for not being able to handle a few drunken mistakes. You may be older, but you don't know any everything either. Like, maybe using the word mistake might not be the best choice ever. And having sex five times, which is more than a few, is not why... <laughs> It's not why our friendship is ending. Well, nothing else has changed. I changed. You said you could handle casual sex. I can. But I didn't realize that's not what this was for me. You should have told me you had feelings before we slept together the first time. I didn't know. How could you not know? It's not like the sex was so good it changed your mind. Oh, I know. <laughs> if it was, we'd be having a different conversation right now. You don't know that. Maybe you don't. Because you know me so well. No, because I've seen you have that conversation with people you don't even like. You haven't been around most of the women I've dated. It's the only positive thing you say about the women I've been around for. The ones I've watched you convince yourself to keep dating. It doesn't mean that if our sex was better, I'd want to date you. Sure. It also doesn't mean that we can't be friends. I know. Then why is this happening? I told you I wanted to be the one to end our friendship. We just agreed that it doesn't have to end. It doesn't have to, but it's going to. What are you even saying right now? My feelings aren't why this is ending. Bad sex is not why this is ending. This is ending because you suspecting I have feelings for you makes you awful. It's like you second guess everything you say or do around me. Well, now I know. The idea that I maybe might have feelings for you has made you act like a terrified dog. But now that you know for certain that I have feelings for you, it's going to make you totally normal again. I'm just trying to make things easier for you. I've had my heart broken before. I'll bounce back. It's the lack of faith you have in my ability to do so that hurts. Well, I'll try to stop doing that. Just give me a little time to adjust. Every time you tense up to make me feel better, it's a reminder that you're ashamed that we happened and of me.
Nate opens his mouth to respond, but stops himself. Charlie waits. I won't freeze up again. I promise. You can't make a promise like that. Let me do something. There's nothing to do. They sit in silence for a moment before Charlie moves to get up. So for the past two weeks, you've... I've tried to verbalize it. At the bar, at the movies. Hell, I even try to work, but even with all your insane behavior, you, s you still look at me that same way. Like you've been waiting for me. Right. I'm too 24 to stand up against the look. You're a mature 24. I ended a friendship via a Christmas card. I'm not that mature. If you change your mind... You'll be waiting. Yeah. Charlie kisses Nate on the forehead and leaves. Nate watches her walk down the street until she's out of view. He waits. End of play. Inspired by uh, the Dylan song "Make You Feel My Love," as covered by Adele. Um, them getting their peace from 
just getting the other person to understand that there was a love uh, great enough out there for them, whether or not they wanted to accept it at the time. Um, so that's sort of the stuff that I was playing with uh, at the show. And then I was like, who's maybe emotionally not totally <laughs> developed? <laughs> Probably a 30-year-old named Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> something from the very beginning, you know? I feel the same way. So, this is great. Yes. <laughs> Just great. Yep. The Seven Men of Hanukkah. It's a great title, great title. Thank you. Uh, one man for each night. He passes a piece of paper to him. Uh, and here are your sides for man number three. Uh, why are there uh, seven men? Hanukkah lasts for eight. Eight nights? Oh, ah, uh, everyone knows that. Um, that would be the obvious choice, to have eight men for eight nights, but instead there will be 17, because that's a big enough group for a real fight scene, you know? Uh, but the play is called The Seven Men of Hanukkah? Oh, yeah, so yes, wonderful. Let's just go ahead and read. <laughs> I love you like I have never loved another, Stephanie. You are the one for me. You. You. You, Stephanie. Uh, I'm sorry, your name is... Starophany? Starophany? Uh, what actually is this play about? Uh, it's it's uh, kind of a mashup, really, of play ideas <laughs> in a play. It takes place 
with men during Hanukkah fighting around a Christmas tree. <laughs> and, and there's a love interest named Stephanie and also Noah's Ark and the splitting of the Red Sea. Uh, right, so could you explain how... Oh, we will talk all about that uh, when we are in the rehearsal process. So, um, you have been offered the role of man number three. Shalom means hello or goodbye or peace. Exactly. So hello and peace to this project until it's goodbye. <laughs> if you could just uh, give me all of your contact info. Uh, I, I, I generally like to read the script before I commit. To oh, no, no. Uh, I, can't, I can't provide it just now. I, I thought you'd like to see a play evolve. Yeah, a plays are generally written before auditions. No, of course, of course, of course. Um, the play is written. Yeah, the sides you gave me were two lines. As a professional thespian. Uh, so, sorry, I, I think I'm uh, unavailable. Phil begins gathering his coat. Uh, so, uh, good luck uh, with um, whatever, and uh, happy whatever. He's walking out the door. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, it's, uh, it's thespian, not thespian. Wait! Uh, stop. I'm, I'm only auditioning you. He stops, turns, returns. Uh, why? And why would Sam say that I had to do this? Yeah, how do you even know? Through Sam's dog walker, Phyllis. Who knows my cousin? Okay, I haven't gotten a part in months, and this is the part that he said I had to come in for? The part that was written for me? Well, it was kind of written for you. Oh my god. No, uh, I didn't want to meet you, you know, so awkwardly, like, over coffee. <laughs> yeah, this was much less awkward. Uh, oh, this uh, this thing is like uh, like a setup for like a date, like a date. I would call it a meeting, <laughs> a, a first meeting of friends of ours who think we might want to meet. So a meeting, sort of, of new people together, meeting. For the first time. <laughs> but instead of just like meeting at a bar. Oh, Raymond and I don't drink. Who, uh, who's Raymond? My cat. <laughs> <laughs> he only drinks water <laughs> out of a fountain. It kind of makes me want to pee all the time. <laughs> Couldn't you have come up with like a better play or like a plan? I know, okay, I know it was just, okay, this might surprise you, but I'm not a playwright. <laughs> really? Because really? this is like the best play. No, it's not the best play. No! No, it's no. not! <laughs> I, I don't know what you, Sam, Phyllis, or your cousin, the dog walker, were thinking. No, the dog walker is not my cousin. My cousin is. Yeah, whatever. I'm just so tired of getting to know someone, sitting across from men in cafes, drinking stale tea, asking, what do you do? What do I do? Like, over and over again. My life is a series of getting to know yous instead of being already known, you know? And what I know about you, 
is that the reason you haven't gotten a part in months is that you haven't auditioned in months since she died. And I'm so, so sorry for your loss. Is there uh, anything you don't know about me? What? Funny, I, I don't know anything about you. Oh! Well, I, um, or... <laughs> I've watched every episode of Friends. Great, that's wonderful. And these, these glasses aren't real. <laughs> I just wanted to look sexy. <laughs> and smart, like a librarian, like a librarian, like a, a sexy, smart librarian. <laughs> what? <laughs> What do you do? I'm a vet. Really? Yes. Well, I play with the animals. <laughs> Volunteer. It's not exactly the same. I mean, I'm kind of in between things right now, but I do love animals. Like, I generally rather be with them more than people. Me too. Yeah. I, I would be so heartbroken if anything happened to Raymond. I've had him for 15 years. How old was she? Nineteen. Oh. Ralphie had this beautiful double coat and was tan with black saddle. I kind of feel like, you know, what good am I without her? How are you coping? Uh, I run around the dog park with her friends. <laughs> it's not the same. Of course it's not! And the holidays were the worst, you know? No one to light the candles with at Hanukkah. She would always bark along, you know? I would say, Baruch, and she would be like, Baruch, you know? Baruch, 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 Atai Adonai. Baruch, I had no idea you were Jewish. Oh, really? Uh, Miss Seven Nights of Hanukkah? I'm guessing uh, you're not. Uh, Raymond Zoroastrian. Zoroastrian. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't really practice anything now. But, but when I was little at Christmas, my parents would scrape together whatever was left after they paid Con Ed, and they bought us socks and sweaters. And we'd go to New York and wait in line in the cold for half-price tickets. We did this once a year. <laughs> My fingers would still be cold when we sat in the theater, but when the lights went up, it was like anything was possible. It was fun and exciting and playful and more joyful than life, and I, I just want meeting people to be fun and joyful. Like, like when did we stop having fun? Why? She turns away. He starts scribbling on a piece of paper. She continues. And now the period between Thanksgiving and New Year's is like an endless night. It actually starts closer to October, around Halloween, when it's okay to be someone you're not. I usually play a witch, and Raymond plays my cat. She notices him writing. <laughs> what do you do? Audition. He hands her a piece of paper. I love you like I have never loved another. You are the one for me. You, 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 Strophany. It's Strophany. My cousin, my name, no. My name is Strophany. 
I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm sorry I wasted your time. Keep reading. Okay. <laughs> Act one, scene one. A man and a woman in an empty room. The woman is acting like a crazy turd. <laughs> and the man is rather handsome. Gorgeous, actually. He hasn't auditioned for anything in a long time. Until today. Apparently, neither has she. There's something really endearing about him. <laughs> and she's not so bad either. Lights up. Blackout. End of play. <laughs> And uh, that was inspired by What Good Am I, as, perf as performed by Tom Jones, which goes a little something like this. What good am I if I'm like all the rest? If I just turn away when I see... short holiday play by Cindy Kay. Lights up on a simple plain blue door. Bright stars, sand ground, ocean waves, a beach. A woman, Marie, 25, in a hospital gown, sits barefoot in front of the door, looking out, watching something below. She has been watching for hours. Next to her is a doorman by the name of Petey. Petey hums, have yourself a merry little Christmas. He's doing her hair wrong. He'll figure it out. She looks to Petey, annoyed, not the answer she wanted. <clears throat> she begins knocking on the door frantically. Petey jingles his keys. You can't go in yet. I've been waiting a long time. I want answers. Enjoy the view. It's nice out here. It's cruel. She knocks some more. She stops. She collapses to the ground. Please? I have a favor first. I just died. I'm sorry you've had to wait. She doesn't know how to be on time for anything. She? Karen, an eccentric woman of 76, <laughs> enters and heads for the door <laughs> where Petey and Marie wait. 
Wearing a 1975 party dress with gobs of makeup, a perfect updo, and exquisite shoes, she holds a glass of wine and a scarf. She holds up the glass of wine to cheers Marie. There you are. My little Marie. Welcome. Welcome. I'm sorry for the wait. It's been so busy today that I totally... Well, I forgot you were coming. Come give your Auntie Karen a hug. Great Aunt Karen? I haven't seen you in... And what do you mean, expected me? Karen takes a sip of wine and throws the scarf around Marie. She then gives her a hug with a pat on the back. I know this is a transitional time for you. I understand the shock, fear, heartbreak. But this is a really bad time for me. Uh, I have to set up the surprise party I'm throwing tonight. Really big deal. Must go well. Gotta impress. I have to get a move on to choosing my next body. I really want to get that tall brunette with the fast metabolism and strong thighs. I am afraid she might be taken if I wait any longer. Patsy? Petey? my pass. <laughs> what, can you please explain what is happening here? You keep talking like this and you aren't gonna make it back to Earth at all. Hey! Doorman! I want my pass. Watch it. Isn't tonight about giving? You wanna need a pass forever? A beat. Karen doesn't answer. Marie notices the visitor's pass that Petey is handing to Karen. You never made it in? You died seven years ago. The board didn't accept her. There's a board? The board doesn't scare me. They're scary? No. The board is kind. I am kind! <laughs> I got so much wine for the birthday boy tonight and those little noisemaker things. He should be ecstatic. Not sure that that's the point. Karen turns to Marie. <laughs> Did you bring anything else to wear? <laughs> I didn't realize I should have packed for this. Okay, I'll make you look pretty. See? Giving! <laughs> I'll show them. A dress and heels appear. Karen pulls out lipstick and begins putting it on Marie. Well, put all this on, Marie. I need to fix my face. How will this help me? Please, I need answers, and I'm worried about them. Feeling attractive is the first step to confidence, which then leads to answers. <laughs> they would want you to look pretty and be a lady put on a dress. Karen begins checking her makeup in the mirror and humming, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Marie stares at the dress and heels. The board is going to declare her a lost soul if she doesn't pass. And what am I supposed to do? She wasn't all that great when she was alive. She did nothing but criticize us constantly after our uncle died. He was like the only thing that made her tolerable. Where is he? I'd rather see him. He would answer my questions. She may be annoying, but not evil. She doesn't deserve to spend eternity wandering space. She doesn't understand. And I do? Please, I am the one who needs help. I don't know what I can do for her. You wouldn't be here still if there were anyone else. Okay, enough chit-chat. Let's go. I hear it's like 
taken a hit of morphine the moment you re-enter. And then I can finally get back to the playground in a sexier body. Petey shoots Marie a look of do anything. Marie sighs. I, uh, like your ring. A moment. Karen looks down to the wedding ring on her left hand. Thank you. Where is Uncle Charlie? I'd like to see him. He was gone before I got here. But he passed the test? No test needed. He got right in. A moment. Karen finally looks up to Marie. If he had waited only a couple of years, we could have gone back together. There was only one, there was one old woman who would sit out here and read every day, waiting for her husband. She would watch him and read whatever he was reading. She said she wanted to be able to talk about each book with him once he arrived. First thing she said to him when he got here was, such as we are made of, such we be. I guess they had just finished something Shakespeare. <laughs> they walked in hand in hand. He didn't wait for me. I'll never know him again. The board's not actually scary, are they? No. They're kind. And understanding. I don't think they'll let it be a lonely experience. Especially since you got them so much wine. They smile. Karen takes a moment with Marie and turns towards the door. She takes a breath. Petey, will you? Petey unlocks the door and opens it for Karen. She begins to exit through the door. She turns back to the something below Marie was watching at the top of the play. She then turns to Marie. She has your eyes. Lucky thing. Karen exits. Marie turns to look out at the same something that captivated her in the beginning. Petey walks up next to her. She is beautiful. He at least knows how to dress her. Marie is silent. The board really likes you. They've been looking forward to you. They're excited to see what you do on your next journey down there. He looks so scared. Come on inside. You don't want to stay out here and watch this. If you come inside, this will be done. We can start working on your new model. Petey takes out his keys and begins walking back to the door. I gotta get to that party. You don't want to be late for this guy's birthday. His father's <laughs> the head of the board. We're gonna lock it up. Marie looks up at the stars, then back out to the world she left. I'll wait. Wait? I have some reading to catch up on. And it's a beautiful view. I see why they like you so much. Petey goes inside and closes the door. The door locks. Marie sits down and watches. As she waits, she begins singing Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas as a lullaby to her family below. Fade to black. End of play. inspired by uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, as performed by Anthony and the Johnsons.
Cindy. Senator Richard Halverson. Halverson sits behind his desk, his desk lamp illuminating his face and the document he is leafing through. A knock at the door. Come in. A figure enters the room, barely visible in the dark. Burning the midnight oil, I see. You mind if I... The lights flip on. At the door stands Jack Delery with a rolled up newspaper in his hand. Sorry, I didn't even notice. 1410? I don't even know why I'm bothering. It's going to end up languishing com in committee like the rest of them. You should just leave that until after break. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. I'm sure Amity would like to have you home by now. I'm just reviewing the talking points. I'm almost finished. Halverson puts his pen down and rubs his eyes. So, I was just looking at your latest numbers. How are we looking? Not good. How not good? Quinnipiac has you at 39%. For Christ's sake, how is that even possible? Look, there is a backlash on both sides of this firearms vote. Everybody's numbers are pitching around a bit. You aren't the only one to see a dip. I'm sure we'll get a little bump after you introduce the sentencing reform bill. I can't imagine I'm going to get much of a bump from a bill that will be stillborn like the rest of them. You may be right, sir. Yes. Well, thank you, Jack. That's all. I think I'm going to try to finish up here. Actually, Senator, I did have one other thing I wanted to show you. <clears throat> What's that? It's something that was brought to my attention that came up in the Billings Gazette. Apparently, Maelstrom Air Force Base in Great Falls has set up an annual display that they do around the holidays. There is a nativity and a menorah on display on the road leading up to the base. It looks as though an organization called the Military Religious Freedom Foundation is threatening a lawsuit. Why do they have a nativity set set up so much so early? Well, it, it's ironic. I think they were actually trying to avoid a lawsuit. Remember last year, a similar situation arose when a school in Missoula had a holiday choir concert in which they sang some religious music, which included uh, 
I don't know, a, a tableau, I guess, of a nativity with students in costume? Yeah, I remember. They passed a bill. Yeah, HB 405. They called it the Merry Christmas Bill. Right. Cute. Well, <clears throat> the bill stated that there could be public displays of traditional religious symbols, provided that every display equally represented at least two different religions. <laughs> and Hanukkah falls early this year. So in order for them to put up the menorah, they had to do the whole splash and put up the nativity early. It appears that way, yes. And here they are getting sued anyway. Yes, sir, but this is a federal lawsuit since the display is on a United States Air Force base. Please don't tell me you're suggesting what I think you're suggesting. I'm afraid I am, sir. You've got to be kidding. Just, just, just hear me out. These Merry Christmas bells are popping up like wildfire in the red states. Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, they all have them. Now, if somebody introduced a federal bill like this, they'd stand to make a few friends. Not to mention these bills are getting a ton of national news coverage with the holidays right around the corner. Well, yes, and it's not the kind of press I want. I don't want to stand hand in hand with these ultra-conservatives who are shoehorning religion back into the school systems because they have a gripe about the fact that they have to say happy holidays. It's asinine. And I don't agree with it, and neither do you. You're right. I don't. But those are the constituents you're losing, and if you don't find a way to get them back, you run the risk of being primaried. You have to make them feel like you're their guy. Well, this isn't going to be their way. And, and maybe I'm not their guy. I guess we'll find out in November. Alverson begins packing his things. You might not have to wait that long. What does that mean? That the situation might be a little more serious than a matter of boosting your approval rating. How so? This firearms vote pissed off a lot of people. And there is talk that some Montanans are looking to petition to recall you. Well, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not, sir. They're saying that the new gun laws are unconstitutional and that you voting for the bill was an infringement on your duty to uphold the Constitution. Yeah, they can't even do that. They can try. Montana has a provision in its constitution that allows for the rights of recall to extend to the federal delegates. I know, but I'm saying it's never been done and it's not going to happen. I agree, Senator, but it won't look good. And you can't and you can bet it will get coverage if it happens, because we're not talking about a few hunters and whitefish that are organizing this. The NRA? They'll make sure it's news. Maybe this Merry Christmas bill is a Hail Mary and will do nothing. But it might just allay any potential that this petition would have. Keep it out of the press and get those ultra-conservatives back on your side a bit. And it's better press than the alternative, which will look like an all-out mutiny. Why is it that I feel like I'm always stuck in situations where I'm throwing a Hail Mary? Because you're in the middle of the field, and the ball isn't moving. Well, this isn't how I want to move it. Me neither. But it's clear, and it's loud. And you'll gain a new set of allies from it, and maybe you'll finally start to see movement on things, like your sentence reform bill, that could actually interest people on both sides of the aisle. All right. Let's sit everyone down on Monday and work it through, step by step. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Jack? Yes, sir. Thanks for sticking by me. 
Happy holidays, sir. You too, Jack. Jack exits. Halverson moves back to his desk. He looks down at the document he had been leafing through and closes the cover. Blackout, end of play. And this was inspired by uh, the times they are a changin', as performed by Keb Moe. structure of the song, each verse Dylan, um, or in this case Keb Mo, <laughs> preaches to the people, uh, to various groups of people about embracing the fact that the times are changing, and uh, there's one verse that starts with the, the lyric, come senators and congressmen something, and yes, and, um, and I read that and I was thinking, oh, I think Halverson at the end of Kids Play Veep is a senator. And then I thought, dear God, please don't let that be my inspiration. <laughs> Give me something else. Um, but I, then I couldn't shake it, so um, I just started Googling senators and Christmas. And, yeah. Uh, and I, I stumbled on, you know, uh, stories from July about Rick Perry passing this Merry Christmas bill in Texas that allows for these changes. And I also stumbled on something about uh, a few years ago, Travis Air Force Base, and actually another Air Force Base in South Carolina, like five days ago, went through a thing where they put up these nativities on the base and then were threatened with lawsuits. And I was like, maybe I can take all those things and jam them into four pages. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up, we have Cake by Kevin Hallman, inspired by the song The Man V, as performed by Van and Van Vandevere. Oh, as performed by Vandevere. Uh, featuring the character Chet from his play Elite Performance. And we have Kelly Witherall, Will Clark, and Chris Comfort. <clears throat> Cake, a very short holiday play by Kevin Hallman. Christmas Eve, 1981. Everything about the family room is old, well cared for, but old. The couch, the recliner, the art hanging on the walls, all old. Even the short silver tree in the corner is old. Amy, 22 and fit, sits on the couch watching Matt, also 22. He is 5'8 and 375 pounds. <laughs> You're fidgeting. You're nervous? You think? I'm sorry, I'm, I just... Confrontations with him, they're a trigger. My brother, they're a trigger. You're doing great. We shouldn't have invited him. He's gonna be awful. I've never lost any weight before. Never lost anything before? I guess I did once, when I had mono. <laughs> That's the kissing disease. <laughs> Listen, losing anything at all, 
I'm really happy for you, as long as you feel good about it. I loved you two weeks ago, and I love you now. Any size. And he'll be nice. It's Christmas. I forgot. You grew up in a magic land where everyone is nice because they're family and Santa Claus and picket fence gumdrop dreams. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry. I'm freaking out. <laughs> let's, let's, let's put on a record. Sure. What do you want? Bread. You told me not to buy any. Though, what's his name? Atkins thing? No. Bread. The band. Best of bread. Amy gets out a record, drops the needle. As it plays, she shoots Matt a look that says, this? I need to relax. No one needs to relax this much. The door bursts open and Amy shrieks. <laughs> Chet, 32. <laughs> Stopped you, dude. Ah, just joshing. Who's this? I'm Amy. It's my girlfriend. Really? Nice. <laughs> you should have rung the doorbell at my own house. You haven't lived here in a long time. It's okay, Matt. Let's stay calm. You're right. You're right. We're 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 gonna be nice. Eat a nice, healthy dinner and talk and... <laughs> a nice what? Did I and hear you? Everything's okay. Of course it is. It's Christmas. Dude, you haven't changed much, huh? You don't like wait, you know, have to wait for a vote for me to do something. I mean, it's been long enough. The funeral was just three months ago. Yeah, that's long enough. Man, I'll bet if there's a heaven or something like that, or that's for real. <laughs> uh, then mom's, you know, she wouldn't mind if you changed the curtains or something. You have no idea what she would want. No idea. Who's hungry, huh? Everybody loves to eat, yeah? I could wait. You know, it's better to eat more often. Small, regular meals is how you, like, Keep your metabolism in a good level. Tips, dude. I got them. <laughs> I'm doing fine on my own. He's doing great. Thanks, honey. Yeah, bro. Fit as a fiddle. Get off my case, Chet. Enough with the fat jokes. I actually don't think it's a joke at all. I'm trying to motivate you, dude. I'm trying to help you. I don't need your help. Uh, you're right. What you need is a forklift, but it didn't think it would fit under the tree. Merry Christmas. Matt lost 12 pounds. <laughs> that must have been one hell of a dump. I don't think my hole could even open up that big. Okay, Chet, here's a real Merry Christmas for you. This house is mine. I don't need your vote for squat. It's all of it's mine. Mom willed it to me because she knew what you're doing with your life. I know. She knew. 
And she didn't want her house to be a drug den. Mom really left it to you, huh? Yep. Whole thing. And all the contents therein. So just go ahead. Go to your room. Get your crap. Load up your truck. I want you out of my life forever. And make it fast before I have to call the cops. Lord knows what they'd find on you. I don't have my truck anymore. I've been doing well lately. Bought a DeLorean. <laughs> of course you did. What does that mean? It means you're an idiot. Seriously with this? I just got here. Ah, uh, you got a girlfriend and you, all of a sudden you've got to prove that you got a big one or something, huh? You want to just embarrass me? On Christmas, dude? Matt wanted to be nice. We cooked dinner, wanted to ease into the idea. That was my suggestion. I was wrong. You deserve no kindness, none at all. This could have been easy, Chet. If you just acted like a human being for once, I'm trying to improve my life. If I'm gonna do this, I am going to do this. I need to cut out anyone who can't support me. Well, it's gonna take someone a lot stronger than her to support you, bro. This chick tries to give you a spot, she's probably gonna break in half. No? That one is right there. You're a terrible person and a worse brother. I'm sorry. Okay. Let's talk about it, dude. Dudes. <laughs> Matt, uh, April? Amy. Right, totally. <laughs> Did you know that if you use a home to commit a felony, the house can be repossessed by the government? Mom wasn't really excited about the idea of her home being seized by the government. <laughs> Whoa, dude. What are you, like a, a lawyer or something now? I start law school next fall. So the answer is no. No, Chet! I'm not a lawyer. Not well, yet. Well, all right then. My point exactly. I guess I'll be heading out. Huh? Chet exits slowly, then immediately pops back in. You're not going to change him, you know. I've been trying to get Fatty Matty here in shape ever since he was a kid. Nothing can motivate this kid. Not even a good piece of tail. I even tried throwing a couple of those his way before. Nothing changes. Nothing. Chet walks out. A beat. I never could have stood up to him without you here. <laughs> you really? Without a woman like you. I'm here for you, honey. I'm so proud of you. Let's celebrate. She disappears and comes back with a gleaming red velvet cake. I asked you not to get any sweets. But it's your favorite. And it's Christmas. You're doing so well. I thought then maybe it would be nice. 12 pounds is a great step. And a little cake won't hurt. I thought you'd like it. I think uh, you need to go home. Okay. Did I do something wrong? Yeah. 
What? It's just cake. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know why that's a problem, I don't think I can make you understand. Amy exits to the kitchen, returning with a purse and a sweater. She walks to the front door. I'm sorry, Matt. Matt nods. I, where am I supposed to go? I stayed with you. I wanted to have Christmas with you. Help me understand. I'll call you tomorrow, okay? Screw you. She slams the door on her way out. Matt stares at the red velvet cake, begging to him. After 15 seconds, he exits to the kitchen, returning with a trash bag. He uses a fork to slide the cake off its platter into the garbage. Matt throws the bag out the front door, slamming the door behind him. His gaze is drawn to the table, and he picks up the fork, covered in cake and frosting. He holds the fork close to his face, thinking, then opens the front door and tosses the fork out too. Fade to black, end of play. And that was inspired by The Man and Me, as performed by Van De Veer, which sounds something like this. And it keeps sounding like that. <laughs> Caven is not with us this evening, but he sent a statement to be read on his behalf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, at least not the music. Okay. Uh, he said, when I heard this song, I could only think of The Big Lebowski, a movie I've seen far too many times that uses Bob Dylan's original version over the opening <laughs> credits. The movie and my play Elite Performance share both a, time, both share a time period and a leading character with an attachment to the word dude. It only made sense that I write a holiday play for Chet. Uh, Kate gave me the opportunity to explore Chet's backstory and also to revisit the character Matt, a character that I cut after the first draft of Elite Performance. Okay. And uh, next up, we have um, Hot Air by Caitlin Wilcox, inspired by the song Mr. Tambourine Man, as performed by Jack Mannequin, uh, featuring the character Susan from her play The Magic of Masons. And we have Jim Fagan, Jen Kirkness, and Jersey Wisdowski. Okay, yeah. Hot Air, a very short holiday play by Caitlin Wilcox. Lights up on Kit, Charlie, and CJ. They are the giant vintage elf balloons that have preceded the Santa Claus float in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade since 1947. Charlie sits grumpily, massaging one knee. Kit is cheerfully doing stretches and physical warm-ups. CJ sits quietly in a corner, face ashen. Ugh. My legs are stiff. Just wait till tomorrow. Once you're fully inflated and floating the friendly skies again, you'll feel much better. Well, until then, I'm stiff. You say that every year. Excuse me. What would you like to talk about? Lampposts? Kit shoots Charlie a sharp look and checks to see if CJ heard the comment. Not cool. 
Whoa. Hey, CJ. Hey, buddy. Look, I know it's not the best news. How you been doing? How do you think? Okay, okay, calm down. Calm down? Tomorrow morning, my life is going to be in the slippery little hands of the worst balloon handler Macy's has ever seen. She's fine. She's not fine. The texting, the Facebooking, the Instagramming. Last year, Miss Cellphone Susie went one-handed for six blocks, and there was a distant whiff of spiked eggnog on her breath. <laughs> SpongeBob was behind her the whole time and saw her weaving all over Herald Square. He was disgusted. Okay. <laughs> but nothing happened, right? That, that's because she was on Spider-Man, and Spider-Man's got 91 handlers. She's worked at Macy's for what? Five minutes? These whippersnappers have no idea what it takes to be a handler. Constant vigilance. One distracted moment and it's right into a lamp post for us. Old man Wozniak, now he was a handler. Got me through the great gust of 83. What do you think would have happened to me if cell phone Susie had been at the reins? Settle down, drama queen. You've been in storage too long. We've each got 12 handlers. It's not Spidey level, but one delinquent pair of hands isn't the end of the world. You naive little fool. CJ? <laughs> what did you call me? Charlie rushes CJ. CJ hides behind Kit. You won't look so tough tomorrow. The cushy days of 12 handlers are over. We've been downsized. For each. Where did you hear that? Snoopy got his hands on a copy of this year's parade handbook. <laughs> you can bet he had a good laugh. Smug jerk. We we're not video game characters or from a Pixar movie. We're irrelevant. Nobody cares about us. Sigi, how can you say that? We're not irrelevant. People love us. Who? No, no one even knows our names. No one even knows that we have names. Look, I know we may not be the hippest balloons on the block, but we're part of something bigger than that. We're a nostalgic, Christmassy reminder of the coming of Santa Claus. We are heralds of the season. <laughs> Give it a rest, Kit. <laughs> Face it. Tomorrow morning, we're going to be left to the mercy of a few teeny boppers who are more interested in taking selfies than watching where they're going. Well, I'm not going to take it lying down. What do you mean? I mean, tomorrow morning, when we round the corner of 7th Avenue and Central Park South, I'm breaking loose. <laughs> someone else to herald the season. But 
happened to you? Who knows where you could end up? At least it'll be on my terms. <laughs> Nobody's going for a hell of a ride. You're staying right here with us. Jesus, pull it together. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you get a little snag. They patch you up. Tell that to Kermit. Last year, he's never been quite the same since he took that lamppost to the gut. He's always drifting to the left. And public humiliation aside, you and I both know that a patch job is not the worst case scenario. Charlie tries to shush CJ. What are you talking about? Nothing. I'm talking about permanent storage. That's a myth. <laughs> a spook story. They tell new balloons to keep them in line. It's no myth. What do you think happens to balloons that are too damaged to repair? Send them off to live with some relatives at a farm in the country? <laughs> Cat in the hat? Bullwinkle? Jesus! Barney? Stabbed and stomped down like a rabid dog? That parade route is littered with corpses of good balloons taken down by lampposts at the hands of negligent handlers. That's enough! Charlie starts towards T CJ. Bring it. I dare you. <laughs> I'm an angry elf balloon and I've got nothing to lose. Charlie <laughs> of course you do. We all do. You ever stop to think why cell phone Susie took all those selfies? Because she's the product of a media-saturated, self-obsessed generation? Yes, but also, she was doing something worth posting about. Because she was on Spider-Man. And do you know why she's not on Spider-Man this year? Probably got demoted. Too many mistakes. So they, they stuck her on a balloon nobody cared about. She asked to be switched to you. Why? Cell phone Susie's last name happens to be Wozniak. As in... As in old man Wozniak's daughter. Well, clearly a balloon handling skill does not run in the family. <laughs> Will you give it a rest? Wozniak Sr. is not doing too well this year. And if her dad's going to have to watch the parade from a hospital bed, Susan wants him to see her walking under the same balloon he handled for 40 years. How do you know that? CJ's not the only one with sources. Spidey can't keep his mouth shut. So whether it's heralding the season or putting a smile on a sick old man's face or, so help me, catching a glimpse of Betty Boop bouncing down 7th Avenue. We've all got skin in this game. Really? Don't judge Betty? me. Don't you judge me. I hate to see her leave, but I love watching her go. Benny's not in the parade this year. I know that. And you don't see me fly in the coop. I guess I could give cell 
uh, Susan, the benefit of the doubt. Really? But I'm not doing it for her. I'm doing it for him. After 40 years, I owe him that. Well, that's a spirit. And she's going to post so many pictures of you uh, after the parade. So much for being irrelevant. Who's irrelevant now? Pikachu. <laughs> Seriously, why is he still a balloon? It's okay, Charlie. I'm sure they'll bring Betty back soon. Kit pats Charlie on the shoulder. In the meantime, we've got a big day tomorrow. Kit starts doing the stretches and physical warm-ups again, encouraging the others to join. Deep breathing, calisthenics. Charlie and CJ reluctantly join Kit. Rolling <laughs> <laughs> their eyes at first, then with more gusto. Lights fade. End of play. by Mr. Tambourine Man, uh, as performed by Jack's Mannequin. Sounds like this. Havoc resident playwright and the producer of the Cry Havoc podcast. While our live audience takes a break for holiday cookies and beverages, I wanted to let you know that all of these very short holiday plays, plus six others by Cry Havoc playwrights, are included when you gift a square foot of Cry Havoc's rehearsal and performance space to yourself or a theater lover in your life. Go to www.cryhavoccompany.org/gift to gift a piece of Cry Havoc this holiday season. Copies of the holiday plays will continue to be available at this address even after the holiday season has ended. This year, in addition to gifting a square foot, you also have the option to give support for one of Cry Havoc's programs, including sponsoring an upcoming episode of the Cry Havoc podcast, the development of a one-act play, or the training of a Cry Havoc summer apprentice. Now, we will rejoin the event with a play written by one of our apprentices and read by two of her fellow Cry Havoc trainees. Broken Glass by Kelly Weatherald, read by Alexandra Fokine and Julia Bilbao. All right. Next up, we have uh, Broken Glass by Kelly Weatherall, inspired by the song Mama, You've Been On My Mind. It's performed by Laura Beers. 
and featuring the character Woman One, who has been named Jesse for the purposes of this play, uh, from The Median Line by Kit Lavoy. And we have Alexander Fokine and Julia Bilbao. Broken Glass. Lights up on a typical college dorm room, two twin beds with this stage, one side extremely girly, pink pillows, a variety of plush stuffed animals, an ivory cross hanging from the footboard with a Bible placed on the bedside table. The other side, plain, a side table with typical dressings, a single worn stuffed rabbit in the center of the bed, slightly discolored from age, floppy ears, and stuffingless limp at the joints, clearly long loved. The remainder of the room sparse, with the exception of a small Christmas tree at the base of the bed, decorated with glowing lights. Grace is frantically packing on her girly side of the room. Jessie enters from the frigid cold, clearly wearing the same clothes from last night. She was out in the town. Where have you been? We, we're gonna miss our flight, you have to hurry. Mom will kill me if we miss, if, if we make it home, if we don't make it home in time for Christmas Eve mass. I told you we were packed and ready to go. Ugh, stop yelling. I have a raging headache. Do you have any Advil? Hung over again? What's your deal lately? Here. Grace reaches into the zip, pop, zip pocket of her suitcase. She offers Jesse two Advil. Thanks, Mom. Jesse takes the Advil and chugs the water on her bedside table. She starts to peel off her clothes from the night before. Anywhere close to ready? I just talked to my mom, and she said, and she's planning to, on picking us up from the shuttle around nine. Then I thought we could go over to Casey's. She's doing this gingerbread party thing with some people from church. They're talking about you. We'll see. Okay. I, I think they just want to do something nice since your dad's uh, your dad's tour overseas got extended. It'll be great to see to see some familiar faces. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. How was work last night? It was fine. Busy? Slow. But I stuck around for a bit. I ended up sleeping on a friend's couch. Really? Yes. But we lived like five blocks from the bar. You were honestly too tired to walk home? Yes. She, okay, sheesh. Sorry I asked. So, I want to tell you something. Promise you won't freak out. What? No, seriously, promise. I can't deal with you overreacting right now. Okay, I won't. What's up? I had sex with a guy last night. Wait, what?! <laughs> <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just wanted to. But I... What? Stop looking at me like that. You promised. But I thought you were saving it till marriage. I don't get it. What don't you get? I don't get how you just changed your mind so quickly. I mean, you always talked about waiting. It's just quite the turnaround. Yeah, well, I'm turning over a new leaf. Are you sure that was a leaf you were turning over? 
Why are you giving me such a hard time about this? <sighs> I'm, I'm not. I'm just surprised is all. I just don't understand why after waiting all this time you decided that last night was the night. It wasn't like I woke up and was like, oh, yep, today's the day. <laughs> it's just, it just kind of happened. Enlighten me, Jesse. Just tell me why a random guy was worth throwing everything away for. Oh, seriously, Grace? Who even talks like that? Sorry. I thought I would regret it. I thought that I would feel dirty the second I did it, but... I didn't. It was honestly the only experience in the past six months that has made me feel alive. Look, I know losing your mom has been really difficult. I can't even begin to imagine what it must be, what it must feel like. But I honestly think if you can get back into a routine, things might get better. A routine isn't going to change anything. I can't just slip back into the same old and pretend like nothing happened. Have you tried praying about it? I know you're doing the whole throw away your faith, uh, throw your faith out the window and rebel thing, but you really, you really, but do you really think that it is going to help you get through this? Losing her has made me realize that there is more to life than just burying your nose in the Bible and pretending like that's going to solve all your problems. God isn't supposed to solve your problems for you. You know that's not how it works. Then how does it work, Grace? Huh? Because he couldn't come through when I was praying every day and when I was going to church and doing all the things that I'm supposed to do. He can't bring her back and no one could stop her from dying. So what's the damn point? I'm not playing this game anymore. I'm taking control and living my own life while I have one. And losing your virginity is really living? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that blindly believing that any one thing is the answer to all of your problems is naive. And if having sex with a random guy got me to wake up and realize that, then I think it was worth it. Well, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Jessie slips into sweatpants and a long-sleeved baggy man's shirt. She crawls into bed. What are you doing? We have to get packed or we'll, we'll never go, or we're never going to make it through security in time. I'm not going. What? Are you serious? Yeah. I just don't think it's a good idea this year to go home. But you're not going home? But you're not going home. You're coming to my home. It's practically the same thing, Grace. I'm not going. But you seem so excited about coming home. Caroling, midnight mass, baking cookies, watching reruns of It's a Wonderful Life. That is you. It'd be good for you. It is you, Grace. That's what you're excited about. Okay, seriously, cut the crap. Let's go. I can't go back to that same little town and do the same damn thing like nothing happened. I get it. You miss her, and the hol this holiday is hard. But believe, but believe it or not, you have your faith and God and friends that love you. I'm trying really hard here. Well, I'm sorry that I'm not coping with all this the way that is the easiest for you. That's not what I meant. I'm just trying to help here, and here you are, five minutes before you were supposed to be uh, 
we're supposed to catch our bus telling me that you don't think it's a good idea. I've been walking around on eggshells trying to cheer you up, trying to remind you of the good parts of Christmas. I can't be around all of that right now. I can't pull into that neighborhood and see all the crazy Christmas lights on Mr. O'Connell's corner lot and the light up candles in your windowsills. I can't look at that for sale sign without wanting to throw up. And going to Casey's to make gingerbread cookies is about the last thing that is going to remind me of the good parts of Christmas. You, of all people, should know that after what happened at Thanksgiving. They were just trying to help Jess. They looked at me like I was a freaking glass ornament. Like, be careful what you say to Jessie. She's been through so much this year. Let's make sure she knows how we're praying for her and this is all part of God's plan. That's not what people think. They just care about you and don't know what to say. Nothing is going to make the smell of Christmas trees and the tune of Silent Night mean what they used to. I just can't do it. Don't you get that? Your mom would want you to carry on those traditions, Jesse. Traditions and your values that make you, you. You can't just abandon every memory and everyone that was involved in it just because it hurts. I think you should go. She asked me to take care of you, you know, before she died. Jesse, I'm here for you through this, and I always will be. But I'm lost here. I don't know. I don't think that what you're doing to yourself is healthy. Please leave. Grace grabs your suitcase, bundles up. Merry Christmas, Jesse. Grace exits. Jessie grabs her suitcase from the base of the bed and begins unpacking, allowing clothes to fall all around. Once the suitcase is empty, she sinks back down on the bed, exasperated, and scoops up the stuffed rabbit next to her. She sits still for a while, staring at it in her lap, rubbing the floppy ears in between her fingertips. She pulls it closely to her chest, clasps her hands, and lowers her head. She prays. Lights fade with the exception of the glowing Christmas tree. End of play. All right, and that was inspired by uh, Mama, You've Been On My Mind. Uh, it's performed by Laura Beers. Basically, is thrown out on a one-night stand, 
um, but I wanted to take that character to a different level. Um, and this play kind of evolved from a place where I believe that there are monumental, like foundational things in your life that change that cause you to do things that are out of character um, or um, out of the typical path. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong or that um, it's, I wanted to kind of show two sides of, of everything. And I believe that Grace and Jesse originated from the same place. And then there was something that shifted in Jesse's life that kind of took her in a different direction. Um, so that's kind of what the play was inspired by. And then through the song, Mommy, You've Been On My Mind, it kind of led me down the path of her losing her mom. Um, and then actually the last verse of the play, of the song is, it's, it kind of shifts back to he's been on my mind. And I think that that's a really open interpretation. So I decided to kind of create a higher stakes conflict through incorporating religion and faith into that foundational structure. All right. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Spy Actually, A Bipolar Express by Jim Fagan. Uh, inspired by the song Song to Woody, is performed by Silverstein and featuring the character Peter from his play Black Slay Down or White Christmas in Machu Picchu, uh, which was his holiday play last year. Uh, and it will be read by uh, Jersey. And Mike Franzilli is not with us, uh, and so it will be read by Chris. <laughs> Spy Actually, a Bipolar Express, a very short holiday play by Jim Fagan. December 20, 0600 hours. Location, somewhere in Switzerland. Latitude varying, longitude varying. <laughs> the roof of a speeding, sleek, black, coal-powered locomotive. The kind only found at train shows and under Christmas trees. But this one is flying down tracks carved violently into the side of the snow-capped Alps. The moonlight betrays a man on top of the train. Snow whips past in all directions. Peter, wearing a trim snowsuit, is hurriedly making his way across with impressive balance. He clutches a wrapped Christmas present. The train takes a dip, challenging his balance, but he recovers quickly, protecting the present like an egg balanced on a spoon. A massive man, Silvestro, wrapped in furs, is in pursuit. He stands upright in a way that suggests the very position is almost unnatural. He'd rather be on all fours. Peter twists around. Peter. Peter twists around, grim and undetermined, in a perfect British accent. How did you find me? Sylvester makes to punch down at Peter, but Peter slides through Sylvester's legs, kicking the back of his knee and bringing him down. He twists around and pulls out his Walter PPK pistol. Sylvester, you are being extraordinarily rude. The train takes a violent turn, knocking Peter off balance. Sylvester kicks the gun. Nuts! Sylvester pulls Peter to his feet. Sylvester growls, throwing Peter to the train. He slams his head down in rhythm. I am... Re-tired! Peter headbutts Silvestro, who staggers back. Silvestro charges at Peter and wraps him up, a tackle that morphs into a hug. 
He's laughing. Ah, little squirrel! <laughs> he puts Peter down. Peter, unsure of what this means, stares at him uncomfortably. The train takes a massive dip and throws him to the ground. Silvestro stands Peter up again, slapping him across the face. You thought you could outsmart me, but I found you. <laughs> Silvestro is laughing so hard now. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I miss something? Silvestro can't contain his grin. The train hums along in a regular rhythm, chugging up the mountain. What's in the package? Something special for someone, or something for someone special? What do you know? Ha! Not so much smarter than me, huh? What did you do? Dear secret spy man, special job. Steal art from train, one time only, big pay. So you hacked my messaging system. Good for you. I never planned on handing it over to that dealer. I'm giving it to a museum. It didn't belong to the Nazis, and it doesn't belong to some count in Argentina. It belongs in the world. <laughs> it's mine. You haven't stolen it yet. Don't get cocky. How did you find the train? It took me weeks. It's not a big secret. It's a tourist attraction. <laughs> I think I'd know a top secret mission train when I see one, thank you very much. <laughs> I led you to the train. It's full of rich kids, based off a children's book. They serve cocoa. <laughs> what are you? Uh, oh. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> the train is slowing down as it chugs up to the top of a peak like a roller coaster. <laughs> I tricked you. You sing. I was you pretended to be a private art thief, lured me onto this train with a false job and knowing I'd be here, waited until we were in the middle of the Alps and attacked me. Well done. <laughs> I wanted to explain it. So, this isn't a rare work of any kind in my hand, is it? It's the only one of kind. What? <laughs> Peter opens the gift. <laughs> It's a picture of the two of us fighting. <laughs> that you drew. <laughs> it's the old days. Before you cry over some old lady, you leave her out of this. And she's totally hot. <laughs> Sylvester falls down to the floor of the train, rolling in laughter. It looks as if he'll roll right off the roof. Peter throws the picture overboard. The train crests and suddenly lunges. It's now rushing at a faster speed than ever. Peter falls to his knees. I'm leaving. Don't you miss the old days. I get a mission. Kill the Prime Minister's son. You get a mission. Stop Silvestro. Sometimes I win, sometimes you win. You win more often, granted. But when I win, I'm on the front page of the news. Nobody even knows you exist. Now, if I get a job to kill the Prime Minister's son, he's dead by sunup. Where's the challenge? Where's the excitement? I don't know. Good luck finding it. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Only... 
There is one thing I don't understand. Why a holiday train ride for a little Swedish children? It's, it seems so, um, well, silly, I suppose. Sylvester grins. It's part of your real Christmas gift. And that is? An unretirement party. <laughs> I won't fight you no matter how adorable the setting. <laughs> only a question of motivation. I make a bump. Game not over. This train is trapped with a remote dynamite. All these little kitties explode if I press this button. But if you fail, kapow! Ha! I am raising the stakes all over this place. Blowing up kids. You can't say no to that. This is not what friends do, Silvestro. <laughs> friends don't blow up little children. <laughs> we have a unique relationship. <laughs> you will blow up too. Silvestro takes the detonator and puts it in his coat. Then he points to a cord on the inside of the jacket. Parachute. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Final stage, evil genius versus super spy man when it takes all. You're a sociopath. <laughs> I'm getting off the roof of this train before I get killed. I'm going to go find a pub somewhere as soon as this train stops. I'm going to get off and I'm going to make some real friends who just want to get drunk and read Dickens. <laughs> I'm sorry you're having a midlife crisis. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know what it's like to be lonely? Peter pauses. He struggles on the increasingly speeding train to find his balance. He stands to face his enemy. Silvestro notices a change in Peter as soon as he speaks. Something has snapped. I don't care. Blow us all up. Don't think I won't. Peter is slowly approaching Silvestro. The train is picking up speed. The sky is lightning with the dawn. Don't think I care. This is a very foolish tactic. Not a tactic. The world is a heartless place. You'll be doing those kids a favor. Peter, getting close now, though each step is harder, and each line they have to work harder to be heard. Is this about your weepy, leave the spy business, lady? She's not worth the trouble. You haven't met her. Trouble is the best part about her. This is pathetic. I thought you wanted to win. This isn't winning. It's totally lame. It's cheap. I want a fight. Can't help you then. Besides, I could only beat you by outsmarting you, and it looks like this time you've thought of everything. Ah, you're being so annoying. The world is an annoying place, and I want to die. <laughs> Peter is chin to chin with him now, snow whipping in all directions, the train moving at breakneck speed. Do it. You've taken all the fun out of it. See, that's where you're wrong. You don't know it, but the fun has just begun. Peter hugs Sylvester violently, then releases the confused large man and grabs his parachute cord. And for the win... Peter pulls the cord, the chute opens, and... No! Win it takes all, friend! Happy Christmas! Sylvester calls back as he sails off into the distance. Happy Christmas! <laughs> 
elevator. He looks at it as the train slows and pulls into a station. The warm lights of a Santa's village in the distance. Peter sits on the roof, completely satisfied. Blackout. End of play. Inspired by Song to Woody, as performed by Silverstein, which sounds something like this. Screenplay, um, uh, which I have made no secret about in the past, is, is one of my favorite things of the year. Um, one of my very favorite things this year is Jenny and I collaborated on a feature-length screenplay uh, about her pigeons, and I was delighted to write this year's holiday pigeons with her. Uh, so next up, we have uh, the Herald Pigeon by Jenny Carlin and Kit Lavoy, inspired by two songs. Uh, Wagon Wheel is performed by Old Crow Medicine Show, and Going to Acapulco is performed by Jim James and Calexico, and featuring the characters Plume, Dubby, and Charlie from their animated screenplay Pigeons. And uh, we have on this Jersey Gwizdowski, Matt Coward, Will Clark, Caitlin Wilcox, Allie Keller playing a male pigeon. <laughs> oh. um, Chris Comfrey. <laughs> the Herald Pigeon. A very short holiday screenplay by Jenny Curlin and Kit Lavoy. Close on a small, sweaty hand. Its tiny palms open and close anxiously. A voice in tones. And in the countryside were shepherds who took turns watching their flocks by night. And suddenly a great light shone from the sky, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. But the angel said, We follow the sweaty hand as it raises to the sky and opens wide. Pull back to reveal the hand belongs to an eight-year-old boy, the arm of his red and white argyle sweater poking from beneath his flowing white angel robes. On his back are cardboard wings and a tinfoil halo hovers above his head. With all the strength he can muster, he squeaks out in his New York accent. <laughs> <laughs> 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be shared by all people. <laughs> for unto you this day a Savior is born. <laughs> a barely tuned piano begins banging out Hark the Herald Angels Sing as we pull back further to reveal the boy is standing in the midst of a ramshackle nativity scene of fellow third graders. Behind them, three stacked rows of elementary schoolers sway back and forth. They sing a cacophony of tiny voices led by a female teacher with Christmas tree earrings and big sweeping arm motions. <laughs> Joyful Bursts of light flash all around. Pull back even further to reveal we are in an elementary school cafetorium decorated in cut-out paper snowflakes and snowmen with children's names scrawled across them in marker. It is full of rows and rows of proud parents. A sea of iPhones are raised in the air, their screens lit up with mini nativity scenes, each focused on a different little angel or singer or Virgin Mary. Pull all the way back to reveal, on a rafter high above the scene, five silhouetted pigeons sit perched. Interior cafetorium rafters continuous. Plume, a plump pigeon, grins at the scene below, bopping his head gently to the music. He holds the wing of Dovey, a beautifully colored ornate fruit dove. Next to them, Eve, a bright pink squab, and Charlie, a hunky pigeon, sit watching. <laughs> and perched at the end of the line, Denny, a gray squab, watches his beak agape enraptured by the children's song as it comes to an end. Glory to the newborn king. The belted voices drift off and drop out one after another, not in time, but all of them spirited. The herd of parents leap to their feet in unison and erupt in delighted applause. Denny watches them, his eyes wide and unblinking. Over the excited din, Plume shouts out, Well, what do you think of that? Denny breaks his gaze and turns to Charlie, awestruck. Charlie! <laughs> Charlie turns and smiles down at Denny. Merry Christmas, you. Plume nudges his son. You like that, bud? Denny smiles big and shakes his head up and down. Oh, they rocked, Papa. What, what were the grown-ups doing with their hands? Denny brings the tips of his wing together with a wisp. Clapping, that's what people do when they like something. Oh, it was wonderful. Can we, can we come tomorrow, Charlie? Charlie shakes his head apologetically. This is a once a year concert then, but next year for sure. Denny looks up at Plume and smiles. He grabs his papa's wing and turns to watch the children slowly filing out below. Cut to exterior of the Museum of Natural History later that night. Snow falls gently on the steps of the Museum of Natural History. A gigantic wreath hangs over the museum's revolving doors. Interior, Museum of Natural History, continuous. Behind a plaque that reads, Birds of North America, Dubby tucks Eve into a nest surrounded by a collection of stuffed indigenous birds. Nearby, Plume calls out. Denny! Bedtime, come on. No answer. He's probably watching the snow. Plume flies up to the open tile at the ceiling of the Birds of North America exhibit and glides down the hallway, arriving at the scales of the universe, a giant three-story silver ball suspended in the middle of, of a gigantic glass room. 
Snow falls gently outside. Plume soars around the globe searching, but no Denny. Hmm. Plume guides, glides down the silent hallways of the museum, past the stuffed elephant herd, past the giant T-Rex fossil, over and around a life-size blue whale suspended from the ceiling of the Milstein Family Hall of Ocean Life. He comes to rest at the prow of the 63-foot Great Canoe. Then, in the distance, he hears a faint sound, something musical. He flies towards it. As he gets further down the hall, the echoing sound becomes more distinct. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Plume turns a corner to find, to find Denny standing at the feet of a fur-draped family inside a diorama labeled Cro-Magnon Man. He sings up at the bearded figure in the center. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners. Plume. Plume taps on the glass of the diorama with his beak. Denny stops singing in turns, beaming and full of energy. What are you doing? Practicing. I'm going to rock. Papa, <laughs> I'm going to sing for all the people. Okay, but tonight is time for bed. Maybe tomorrow you can rock. Denny pumps his wings excitedly. <laughs> Come on. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Plume and Denny wing off towards their nest as they fly off into the distance. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to sleep, Papa. Exterior, New York City, day. The day is bright and glorious. Plume, Dovey, Denny, and Eve soar over the bare trees of Central Park, a blanket of snow covering the ground beneath. Up ahead, the red and white striped awnings of the Columbus Circle Holiday Market. The four pigeons dive down and land in the center of the bustling crowd. Heavy boots pound muddy snow all around them, sloshing wet slush on their wings. Plume hops ahead, aiming straight for the ginger snap and cider house. Eve and Dubby follow right behind. Denny, however, stays put. He looks up at the crowd bustling over him and smiles. He lifts his head as high as he can, and at the top of his lungs, he starts to sing. Hurt Plume spins around and sees Denny, red-faced, singing with all of his might. The crowd continues to push past him, hustling from one kiosk to the next, unaware of the singing squab below. Glory to the newborn king! Plume rushes back to Denny. Denny stops and looks at Plume, beads of sweat glistening on his tiny head. He looks up. Denny's POV. People tower above him, zipping past, bumping into each other. Not a one looks down at him. Back to scene, Denny's face melts. I don't think they liked it, Papa. I think they just couldn't hear you, Den. A look of hope washes over Denny's face. Oh, I, I should be louder. <laughs> Let's get some cookies. <laughs> There's a guy in the center house just chomping, crumbs everywhere. <coughs> Plume ushers Denny ahead towards Dubby, Eve, and the crumbs. Montage. Dubby and Eve wing and wings, sliding in circles on the ice skating pond at Bryant Park. Denny opens his beak and belts out the loudest singing. The skaters whoosh by. Denny, perched on a red bucket, singing to an oblivious Santa Claus ringing a bell. 
Denny singing atop a yellow taxi cab as it stops and starts in traffic up Fifth Avenue. Denny hopping and singing down the line wrapped around the Apple store. Denny sits on the step of a horse carriage, crooning to a woman with short hair and glasses and her dark-haired daughter as it jostles through Central Park. Denny craning his neck and singing up at a toy soldier standing guard outside F.A.O. Schwartz. The shoulder ke soldier keeps his eyes locked straight ahead. Eve looks on, shaking her head. Exterior, Union Square dog run, day. Denny sits perched atop an old beaten up green park bench inside the dog run at Union Square. He watches sullen as, he's, as Eve pecks the eye off a discarded gingerbread man and Plume and Dovey hop around among the frolicking dogs. A miniature black poodle leaps back and forth in a playful crouch, looking straight at Plume. Plume glances over at Denny and smiles big. Denny waves a half-hearted wave. Come sleep with this guy. Denny shrugs. Plume beckons. For Christmas. It's a dog that doesn't count. <laughs> Just then, a man sits on the bench next to Denny, engrossed in his phone. A look of determination washes, washes over Denny's face. He steals himself and wings down to the man's feet. He breathes deep and starts singing, gently this time, wings clasped in front of him, a look of angelic sweetness on his face. After a moment, the man looks up from his phone. He smiles. Denny smiles and sings louder, swaying back and forth. The man smiles wider and begins clapping and whistling. Denny absolutely beams, his eyes twinkling. Suddenly, a beagle barrels over Denny and leaps into the lap of his owner, sending Denny tumbling under the bench. The man scratches the dog behind the ears. Denny picks himself up, his eyes filling quickly with tears. Plume rushes over and embraces him. It's okay. It's okay. Let's go home. Cut to Interior Museum of Natural History, night. Plume, Dovey, Eve, and Denny sit tucked in their nest in the Museum of Natural History. Plume looks down at his family, all fast asleep. Under his wing, Denny snores lightly, muttering almost inaudibly with each exhale, hark, hark, over and over again. <laughs> Plume exhales and pecks Denny on the forehead. Cut to Interior Museum of Natural History the next morning. Plume stands above a sleeping Denny, poking him with his wing. Denny. Denny. Denny stirs and slowly opens his eyes and sees Plume towering over him. Plume smiles big at his son. No, Papa, sleeping. Denny. Denny's eyes open and look at Plume. But I was having really good dreams, Papa. I need your help. Come on. Cut to Exterior Museum of Natural History, day. Plume and Denny wiggle out of the old abandoned mail slot at the back of the museum and soar up into the sky. Light snow falls on their wings as they soar over the park. Exterior, Midtown Manhattan, day. Plume and Denny land on the ledge of a brick building. In the distance, the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree lit up and crowded by families and tourists. Oh, Papa, we should go over there. I could sing and sing. This way, bud. Plume squeezes himself through a tiny opening in a window above Fifth Avenue, Denny following behind. Warm heat blasts the two pigeons as soon as they're inside. Inside, a pristine Santa suit lays over a black metal folding chair. Denny cocks his head. Plume smirks and jets off through an open doorway into a dark hallway. Denny follows. 
Then he soars down the dark hallway and into a cavernous, empty space. Plume is nowhere to be seen. Just then, psst. Then he looks up and sees Plume leaning out of a New York City sightseeing bus suspended from the ceiling. Then he gasps. The tiny bird flies up and through an open bus window. Out the back, he sees a shiny red sleigh hovering against the wall. Denny zooms out of the bus and dives down over a pile of larger-than-life, perfectly-wrapped Christmas presents. He looks back at Plume, now mock-steering the bus. Denny disappears behind the towering presents and zips up from behind the giant stack and screeches to a halt. Two white dancing clown bears with unmoving faces and big bobbly heads shuffle past. As the bobblehead bears past, Denny jets up a steep pyramid of glowing bright blue steps. At the top of the steps, a row of flashing Times Square-style billboards float, each emblazoned with a different holiday image. Denny swoops back down the steps and zips around the corner and comes face to face with a sheep. The sheep baas at Denny. Denny startles back, bumping into plume. The sheep turns around in his pen. You'll see. Plume jets ahead, and reluctantly, Denny leaves the sheep pen to follow. Denny follows Plume, gliding past a row of reindeer antlers, through a pink tool of hanging tutus, and almost directly into a set of four beige, fur-matted legs. We tilt up to reveal a camel staring down at the two birds, with his big brown eyes and long lashes. Denny squeals. It's a dinosaur! <laughs> It's not a dino, it's a camel. Oh. What's a camel? <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a big, bumpy dog <laughs> that, that lives far, far away. Wow. You want to go for a ride? Then he turns back, eyes wide, saying, can I? Go on! Fly on top of him! Denny flies up and sits down on the camel's big beige hump. He teeters back and forth, trying to keep his balance. Plume sidles back and forth, wings up, ready to catch, until Denny gets his footing. Almost as soon as Denny settles in, the camel starts moving. Denny looks back at Plume. It's okay, son! Grab on if you need to! Denny's wings grab onto the short back hair of the camel, his face lit up with excitement. A man in an elaborate turban leads the camel out of its pen. Suddenly, Denny and the camel are flanked by a huge crowd of people, all elaborately bundled in rich-looking robes and ornamented headdresses. A second camel joins the parade beside Denny's. Denny points him out to Plume, who grins back at him. Plume motions for him to look forward. Denny turns to see a black night sky stretching before him, twinkling with stars. At the center of the sky, a glorious white star beams. A majestic voice booms around them. And there were in the same country shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. As the troop moves forward towards the star, a chorus of trumpets and French horns blast around them the familiar opening strains of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Denny's camel stops. 
Denny looks back towards Plume. Plume nods with his head for Denny to turn around. Denny turns and his face bursts with joy. There in front of him, a house of a huge theater stretches into the distance, filled with thousands of people, all enraptured by what they're watching. For unto you this day in the city of David a savior is born. Reverse to reveal the stage of Radio City Music Hall, filled with the Radio City Christmas Spectacular's climactic living nativity. Dozens upon dozens of people in beautiful costumes, in the center a wooden manger, live sheep, donkeys, and camels adorn the scene. And there, atop the first camel, a tiny gray squab. The orchestra swells. Rock them, Denny! They want to hear you sing! <laughs> Denny nods and inhales deep. He opens his beak, and as he begins to sing, the chorus around him thunders to life. A hundred angelic voices and the sweet strains of one little squab soar to fill the gigantic hall. Joyful draws to its majestic end, the audience leaps to its feet, erupting with thunderous applause. Denny is delirious. Waiting just off stage, Plume flaps his wingtips together and cheers along, smiling from ear to ear. Cut to Interior Museum of Natural History that night. Plume and Dovey watch on as Denny and Eve climb into their nest. You should have seen it, Eve. I rocked so hard for Christmas. <laughs> Dovey looks over at Plume, smiling. You're a good papa. He's a good squab. Dovey leans over and pecks Plume on the cheek. Plume looks at her. How would you describe a camel? Dovey cocks her head. A fuzzy tall horse? Plume starts <laughs> laughing uncontrollably. Dovey snorts and starts hitting Plume what? playfully. What? That's so weird. <laughs> Dovey hits Plume again, laughing. The two birds look to see their squabs curled up in the nest, sleeping soundly, a huge smile glued across Denny's beak. Exterior, the Museum of Natural History night. Snow falls quietly over the Museum of Natural History. A mix of Hark the Herald Angels Sing and Cab Horns fill the air. Final fade out. inspired by two songs, but we'll just listen to a little bit of the first one, uh, which is Wagon Wheel by Old Crow Medicine Show.
Jenny Curlin. All right. <laughs> um, I had this idea starting about a month ago that I really wanted one of the squabs to be walking down the sidewalk trying to sing carols for the people. <laughs> um, and uh, I got this song, and one of the lyrics that we just heard is Rock Me Mama. And obviously, it's a different context. <laughs> um, <laughs> story about Denny and Plume, I took out Mama, but kept the, uh, the idea that he wanted to rock um, for the people. And then... Yeah, and then my song that I was assigned was uh, uh, Going to Acapulco, uh, which we won't listen to, but is a terrific... Oh, it's a great song. But um, it, the thing that really struck me about that was actually the idea that this is a cover. Um, all of these are covers of songs and how different it was from the uh, from the original and largely because of the instrumentation, it has both sort of this very lo-fi, plingy guitar to it, but also this great horn in it too. So we sort of decided to structure it around the same song that would open and open and, and close it more or less, but one of them being kind of a very lo-fi version of it, and one of them being a much bigger, more majestic version mm -hmm. of it. And then the story was sort of how Jenny's idea of one of the one of the uh, uh, Denny wanting to rock people got us from one song. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. So, um, thank you everybody so much for coming, um, and thank you everyone for all of your great plays. Also, we should say that uh, these are not the only plays in the collection. Uh, there also are plays by Michael Ross Albert, Josh Bywater, Jen Kerfman, Leah Philly, who's joining us over here from Australia. Um, Hi, Alexander Fokine and Jennifer Reichert. Uh, they're all terrific. You can get them if you get these collections by going to cryhavitcompany.org backslash gift. Thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, stick around. Have, a, have another drink if you would uh, like. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Hi, this is Jenny Curlin, and you just heard my Holiday Pigeon screenplay, The Herald Pigeon. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special holiday episode. Again, if you would like to get a copy of this collection of very short holiday plays for yourself or someone you love, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org backslash gift and gift a piece of Cry Havoc for the holidays. Thanks again to everyone so much for joining us. A new season of the Cry Havoc podcast will begin after the new year. If you have not already done so, please subscribe for free on iTunes to join us again for our regular discussions about the craft of acting, writing, and directing, and about the realities of being a working artist in New York City. You can also go to iTunes to check out all of our previous episodes, including other special holiday episodes featuring very short holiday plays from previous collections. To learn more about the Cry Havoc Company, our upcoming public events, and how you can help support the work and the community, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. So, 
For myself, Jenny Curlin, Jen Reichert, Michael Ross Albert, Julia Bilbao, Josh Bywater, Will Clark, Chris Comfort, Sharon E. Cooper, Matt Cowart, Jennifer Kerfman, Jim Fagan, Leah Philly, Kerry Flanagan, Alexandra Fokine, Jersey Gwizdowski, Kevin Hallman, Cindy Kay, Allie Keller, Kelly Weatherald, Caitlin Wilcox, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavacompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.